Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Jasper Etema. Jasper is the CEO and founder of an amazing company called Jet Growth, which is doing amazing work helping tech companies bring their ideas to life. And so I'm really keen to dive into it all. But firstly, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. I love to be on shows like yours. You're a bit like me. You're geographically challenged or confused or something. I'm an Aussie living in Ireland with clients in the US, UK and beyond. And you are from the Netherlands, living in Austria with clients all over the place too. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I'm all over Europe, online and offline. And actually, Corona helped me realize this. So Corona had some good aspects for me, actually. I think you mean coronavirus, not Corona, the beer, but it's possible that the beer helped you. I don't know. No, I don't drink beer at all. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So yeah, thank you very much for joining me because it's such an important area that we're going to dive into around the whole pitching and pitch decks and all that sort of stuff. But I know you've got a real burning sort of desire to help founders of companies to bring their ideas to life. And I guess the phrase that I think I've heard you say somewhere along the lines is an idea is not worth much if you can't sell it. It's something along those lines. Can you tell us about that concept before we get into the actual side of pitching? Well, actually, that's exactly the case. An idea is worth nothing if you can't sell it, because the first thing you have to do is sell it to your co-founder. And that's not selling for money, it's selling for uh, acceptance or selling for joining your team or being allies in your mission, right? So you'd rather be compelling than be convincing. And that's where pitching starts at day one. So what I have noticed is that pitching in many startup support organizations like accelerators and incubators is still treated like giving you some tips and tricks the day before demo day. and All other skills in an accelerator incubator are taught like a skill. You get some methodology, you get some practice, you have something for life. But actually, I think pitching is one of the most important things you should be learning because, again, if you can't sell your idea, it's worth nothing, right? So I have been supporting founders by teaching them the skill of pitching than rather giving them some tips and tricks from my own experience. And I think somewhere along the line, I saw that you'd done something like involved with like over 3,000 business plans or business decks and things like that. So I know you're having a great impact. Can I ask to clarify pitching? Are you talking about getting investment or making a sale to a potential customer or client or both? Cool question, actually, because that's exactly what it's about. You have to think about your audience first. So asking for an investment, if you could expect that there are no investors in the room, is basically senseless, right? So actually think about the audience first and what you could ask from your audience, then think about, okay, is that what I can ask from my audience actually worth something to me? Then yes, go for the pitch, but then also ask the right stuff, right? Ask for the right contribution. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking about doing a coaching call yesterday with a client and I gave a talk at a Google office once for entrepreneurs and stuff. And I realized there's a whole bunch of businesses that were not going to be customers and they were not going to be investors. It was just a different group. It's an entrepreneurial thing, but a lot of them could potentially be referral partners and affiliate partners. So that was the angle I took. And that was actually far more effective. So that's great advice from you to really understand the audience and what they could potentially be interested in. Is that right? 
you know, actually a lot of the times startup founders are pitching for other startup founders. A lot of the times, right? And that's something startup support organizations should actually be quite aware of that they're doing this because sometimes it's a waste of time, you know, and life is short, especially the life of founders, right? We have a really tight deadlines because we all know we have to survive the first three years. So yeah, it's basically to you as a founder also to say no to certain pitching opportunities and say, hey, I know what the audience is going to be. Please explain to me what's the value in there for me because I have other things to do, right? Which is also actually a quite good decision to be very focused like this. And if you then decide to go for it, then go for it in the right strategy. So think about what's your audience, how can you get a hook on them, what's the contribution that you can ask for. And this is exactly what I teach founders with my methodology. Nice. So I guess for the purpose of today's discussion, I'd love to hear your ideas, thoughts, advice on two areas. One is the pitching process, any advice on best practice or advice you can share on that side of things. And then then secondly is the actual pitch deck, what to put in there or how to structure that. So can I turn it to you? What's your advice on the actual pitching process? Is there a methodology or process or tips you could share with people? Yeah, I work with a five-phase process, which is basically a little bit too much to explain in here, but I'll be happy to explain it if people just send me a message through LinkedIn or whatever. But basically, all throughout this process, it is very, very important to stay authentic. Authenticity is basically about telling facts as they are, being honest about them, not overselling your ideas, not overselling the status of your startup. The truth will come out anyway, and then you're screwed, right? People will notice if you're basically overestimating or overselling your ideas and startup and your status. So being authentic is one of the most important things to do. Yeah. And on your second question, if you look at Google searches on pitch decks, it's always about the one question, which pitch deck will bring me millions, right? And the cool thing is there's no such thing. There is no pitch deck that will bring you millions, especially it is not about the deck. The deck is only a visual aid to your story, especially when it comes to investors. Investors want to see you sell your idea and you can use a pitch deck as help, right? But first and foremost, they want to see you sell your idea. I teach founders to pitch without a deck. Now, of course, you have to do a follow-up with a potential client, with investors. So you need to send something out to them if they're interested. And this is the send deck. This is not your pitch deck. It's a totally different deck. So separating these two decks is also very, very important. Obviously, there is a certain standardized content of pitch decks like problem, solution, market size, competition, finance, team. Of course, the art of pitching is in covering these topics, but still telling your own story. And that's how good pitches actually prevail and dominate. If you're able to tell your own story, but still cover on the content that people are looking for. Got it. And I'm sure listeners will probably be wondering, the difference between the pitch deck and the send deck. So the pitch deck is the thing we have up on the screen that we talk to as we give our pitch, but then the send deck, what's different about that? Well, if you're doing a pitch in front of an audience, right, you need a visual aid to actually empower the words that you're speaking. So the two have to align, which is very, very important. And many academics 
especially do forget this from time to time. You know, they show different things on their slides as they're actually speaking. So that's not really a very smart thing to do. The smart thing will be to have the visual aid to what you are speaking on the screen. And the send deck, of course, the send deck is something that needs to be self-explanatory. So a send deck is typically used to be received by one person and then handed over internally to different people to say, hey, can you have a look at this? Do you also think this is interesting? Let's invite this person over to us for a first meeting. So this will be handed over to people that have never seen you before. They have never seen you pitch. So a send deck must be self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah. I know some companies, they do the presentation sometimes to a team and then they send it on. And I'm always telling them, make sure it stands on its own because you can be guaranteed, for instance, the CEO wasn't there that day. And so the CEO receives the pitch deck and maybe you've added some notes so it makes a bit more sense, not just the pictures. But if the full story is not there, then if all you've done is send them a pitch deck and the pricing, then they're going to, no, thanks. Nah, this looks expensive. I can't see the value. So, And you cannot rely on the person you have pitched to to pitch your idea in his organization the same way you do because you have trained to do this. You've trained this over and over and over again. You've been an expert on pitching your own pitch, which takes a lot of effort. Do not expect somebody that listens to your pitch to be able to do this initially in the same quality you do it. And moreover, they get the same questions that you get. So they should be able to answer these questions, right? Which is very hard to do if you're not the owner of the company, you're not the founder of the company. So there are some problems in sending your pitch deck to somebody via email. Make sure to have a separate deck that is self-explanatory to do so. Yeah. And as you were describing that situation, that the person's not in the room and then they're getting a pitch deck and making decisions about it. What are your thoughts on potentially recording either before or after separately? You know, there's all these screen sharing technology that we can use. Is there any benefit to doing it again and sending it as a backup? Why Combinator started this, right? They started to have like a video application for their incubator accelerator programs, right? And it was actually a very good decision because they could actually see into the team and see like, what are these kind of people and are we thinking they are a team or how do they present themselves, how they represent the company. I think in the modern technology, there's a really good opportunity to provide people with an insight into you as a person, into your team, by recording a pitch on video and providing it in the send deck as an extra slide or whatever. And this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler into my methodologies. Of course, I teach my founders to record every pitch that they do for the purpose of continuous improvement. Uh, yeah. So you have to record every pitch, no matter it's practice or on stage, real life or whatever, because you can only learn from real life situations. So also the best way to learn is from real life situations. So if you're doing a pitch, record it or make a teammate record it with a mobile phone, very easy to do and analyze it afterwards. You can really see, for example, the timing, your gestures, you can even notice when the audience is picking up on your thoughts or not, or when you're losing them, you know, you can actually compare what you should have said to what you've actually said and think about if the pitch text that you've designed is actually the right text. So this is a way of continuous improvement of your pitch by just recording it. And if you don't have a good recording, why not use it in a second way just by sending it, right? Yeah. So put it on a Google Drive and provide the link in your send deck. Why not? does sound painful. 
sitting there and watching yourself back on video that's <laughs> shiver down the spine but i think you're right yeah. it, it's about that continuous improvement and refining what works and what doesn't yeah you're totally right and that's exactly the hesitation people have so if you practice this and look at your video and you start to detect okay now i'm confident with the situation i'm confident watching me on video you will appear more confident on stage as well so there's even a second effect in recording your pitches I had a little flashback as you're talking earlier there back in the corporate days. And I remember sales people saying, oh, I've got a sales meeting and they'd pick up a chunk of folders or whatever and off to do their pitch deck. And it makes me think that they took a bunch of slides or whatever, stuck them up. This is what we do. This is what is so good about it. This is why you should buy our stuff. And I suspect there was very little tailoring. What's your view on adjusting pitches for the specific room i know we talked earlier about is it an investment meeting is it a buying meeting that sort of stuff but what about company to company if you're going to try and win customers an investment meeting is also a sales meeting because you're not selling your product you're selling investment in your company yeah so it's the same right it's the same approach so the first thing you should do is get into the head of your potential customers dash investors and think about their interests and i think in a second meeting maybe, or in a third meeting, it could even be a good way to start the meeting by asking some questions on your partner. Asking them like, hey, did I understand this correctly? You're actually interested in XYZ. Or with your program focused on startups, I think you're trying to achieve something like this, right? And if you get dialogue going on like this, your partner will understand that you've really done your homework. And then you can actually try to say, okay, well, if that's the case, we can contribute with our product or our service. Yeah, And that's the way it should be because then you're in dialogue and you're not in monologue. Nobody wants to listen to a monologue. Yeah. I've actually seen some presentations where the speaker has learned something from the audience or from the potential customer or whatever, and up comes the slide talking about, I don't know, the healthcare industry. And the customer says, no, we don't touch healthcare industry. And then the person responds to that and says, this next slide shows healthcare, but that's, you know, standard. You've just told me you don't touch healthcare and you focus more on fintech. Well, let me give you some examples of how we help fintech. And so it kind of shows that you're listening and responding. So yes, it would have been better to have a fintech slide, but to be able to respond to that and adapt, I think can really cut through and show the versatile. Is that right? Or is that a horrible mistake to make? No, no, of course. Tailor the dialogue to your partner. So no, of course, you should go into their situation. And if they're telling you, hey, we don't do this. So then tell me, what is it that you do? And why did you invite me? Yeah. Because there must be something I can do for you. You invited me. Uh, yeah. Right? So, But we're talking sales now, right? So, Yeah, on the sales. I've definitely seen companies pitching services. And for instance, the logos they use or the case studies and stuff are the wrong type. Maybe they're giant corporations and they're pitching to smaller businesses or vice versa. They're pitching to big companies and they're showing lots of examples of mom and pop stores. And I think that's an important one to customize before a pitch. Is, is that true? Well, one of the problems in corporate situation is decentralized management. So they have centralized decision-making on what information can go out and what not. So every time they change the pitch deck, they have to go through legal and say, hey, is this okay? This is how these kind of situations actually still prevail because before I go to my legal colleague and say, hey, can I do this? And take another two, three, four days or a week until they actually sign off on it. 
I'll do the same pitch deck as before and try to compensate on the audio, right, in my text. So this is how that happens. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Can I turn then to the overall advice for the pitching process twofold? One is a company or a founder that's coming to you going, oh gosh, here we go. It's my first meeting pitch session or whatever you want to call it with a potential customer. So not on the investment side, but a potential customer. You know, any advice on that one? And then secondly, for a more experienced founder or company, they've done plenty of pitch sessions or sales sessions but maybe they're not going as well as they should in the pitch session. So newbies and more experienced ones, what's your advice for either of those situations? Well, if you're going after your first customer, why not let them know they're your first customer? What we always try to do is make ourselves bigger than we actually are and say, yeah, you know, we are a big business and whatever. Why don't you just tell them, hey, we are learning. We know what we do. We are experts on our field, but you are our first customer. So... Let's try to work this out together. You know, Let's make this a good project together and learn from both sides by us contributing with our expertise and you contributing with your expertise and make it a reference. I like that. There's nothing, not really much more to it. And then on the more experienced side? I've seen a lot of good, good pitchers and good founders or business development representatives that pitch companies at startup events. Sometimes you get the feeling that they are a little bit overconfident because they're so successful, because they are the large startup, that they are the successful startup and everybody's mm. looking up to them, right? So that they actually forget that they tailor their story to the audience and therefore do their standard pitch because they're doing it three a week or four a week, right? And not tailor it to the audience. So the actual takeaway gets lost. And at a certain point in time, a business representative of a larger startup then goes like, okay, what's the sense in going to these events? I don't get any leads from there. I don't get any takeaways from there. No, because you're not asking for it. You're not asking the right way. Yeah. You still have to focus on each event singularly and try to get a benefit out of yourself. If you don't do that, you don't get any. It's a little bit different, but that reminds me of marketing advice for businesses. So that's you know the area I'm in. And oh, so many times you see people giving advice to small businesses about what would Steve Jobs do and what would Apple do? And look at, I'm going, yeah, but yeah. a mega corporation with billions and huge ad agencies, of course, they're going to craft the perfect messaging and stuff. So maybe that's great to watch and entertaining, but it's not very helpful. It's actually quite interesting that you say this because I teach a lecture that's called New Venture Creation at Universities. And of course, I use the business model canvas and the lean canvas to explain business models. And the nice thing is, I always explain to my students, you know, Alexander Osterwalder did a really good job by designing the business model canvas with his team or whoever contributed to it, right? The problem only is he designed it with new companies in mind. At the time, he analyzed these companies were already quite big. And then the lean canvas was exactly built for this purpose with this in mind to say, okay, what if these companies are not that big? So Ash Mayura actually then designed the lean canvas displaying all of a sudden problem, solution, all these topics that actually a startup is concerned with. So I find it very interesting to say, okay, yeah, there are situations where there are better tools for startups than the majority is using actually. Absolutely. That's a good one. And the Lean Canvas model, yeah, for people listening to this, make sure you check that out. Now, yes, but you don't just sit around in your spare time doing nothing and watching Netflix. I believe you're writing a book. What's the book about? 
One thing I've discovered is that although we just started this session with the statement about if you can't sell your idea, it's worth nothing, accelerators and incubators still have a habit of introducing a pitch guru the day before demo day that actually then tells people what to do in their pitch the day after. And you get these overnight changes to pitches and a lot of uncertainty in the result, which is not good for the startup because they are basically inconfident because they're doing something wrong is what the guru says, right? You have the organization of the accelerator incubator does not know what's happening on the next day on demo day because there's overnight changes and that's what they're measured for. So everybody's unhappy. And I think if you look at these programs, I designed these programs as a service, by the way. So I get hired to design startup accelerator incubator programs. And you see that Everything that we try to teach the founders is taught as a skill, no matter if it's business model or sales or business development or marketing. We try to give them methodologies and try to give them something for life, right? And with pitching, we give them tips and tricks. That doesn't make sense to me. So I've designed a methodology for life, for pitches, for innovators, basically, so they can actually improve their skills. They have a tool set that they can use immediately and improve their pitch skills over and over again by continuous improvement. That's what the book is about. So it's a little bit theoretic. It's a methodology book. There are some practical examples in there, but hopefully soon it will be finished. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be great to see it being shared and being used because it's with businesses that are starting up in the early stages, they've got these amazing ideas and you know, I'm in the HR space and so many of the companies, all the companies I see coming through in the HR tech space, they're trying to make the workplace better. And sometimes, yes, they're focused on management type stuff, like how to get compensation and benefits easier to run. But so many of them are around employee engagement, making it a better place to be and get feedback and safer, you know, diversity and inclusion and all these things. And these companies can't necessarily make it happen without someone like you to guide them in through that investment stage and winning some customers and things like that. So definitely, I'd love to see the book when it comes out. I'll let you know. Yeah, please. You've shared some great insights and advice. If people want to learn more, what should they do next? I'm just on LinkedIn. I don't do any other platform. I'm just on LinkedIn. So therefore, I do respond very quickly on LinkedIn. So if you need anything from me, just be sure to find me on LinkedIn with my first and last name, Jasper Etterman. Yep. And I do know folks listening to this that Jasper will not get upset if you call him Jasper because he understands that us English speakers are terrible. So yeah, Jasper, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing your advice and the programs and the books going to be amazing, I know for sure. So let's keep in touch and I wish you all the best with it and for everything you're doing for the future. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.